Welcome to the Julius Bear Moving Markets podcast on Tuesday, the 30th of January, with me, Bernadette Anderko. Today, Manuel Villegas is joining the show from Next Generation Research to give us his weekly update on what's making the headlines in the crypto space. And we've managed to snag some time from our head of research in Hong Kong on his way to the airport to get his thoughts on the big news out yesterday about China Evergrande. But first, we'll get the markets update from my colleague, Jonty Warris. Good morning, Jonty. Good morning, Bernadette. So, Jonty, we ended last week with markets rallying and investor sentiment pushed higher by momentum from earnings surprises, particularly here in Europe. But markets seemed to take their foot off the gas a little bit yesterday, didn't they? Yes, that's right, Bernadette. So the rally that has pushed US stocks to new record highs last week lost some of its chime for most of the session yesterday, as traders were braced for a deluge of earnings and updates on the outlook for interest rates that will likely determine the direction of markets over the next few months. That said, US equities did post gains, closing at their session highs after struggling for direction for most of yesterday's trading session, ahead of results expected this week from five megacap stocks whose combined market uh, value exceeds $10 trillion. The S&P 500 nudged 0.8% higher to a fresh record high, just shy of 4928, while the small cap Russell 2000 outperformed the large cap index again after a four-week streak of declines. And after advancing over the last three weeks, the S&P 500 is now up almost 20% since late October. Uh, Going into this week's two-day Fed policy meeting, investors are currently assigning a 47% chance, so roughly even odds, to the prospect that the central bank will start lowering borrowing costs at its next decision in March. All right, so in the end, a rather positive day for US stocks then. Um, How did other asset classes fare? So perhaps starting with currencies, we didn't see any wild moves in the US dollar. The greenback fared better versus the euro, but was a little weaker on the yen and sterling crosses. And the euro continues to trade in a narrow range versus the dollar as investors await the eurozone Q4 growth data to help gauge the strength of the region's economy, which is due out later today. Elsewhere, gold finished up 0.4% and Bitcoin futures were up over 2.5%. U.S. Treasuries were firmer across the curve. We saw the 10-year yields drop three basis points to 4.10, with the yield on the 10-year now a little lower at 4.04, and I checked a moment ago. Uh, Oil gave up uh, an earlier advance as traders digested the impact of separate attacks in the Middle East that killed U.S. troops in Jordan and hit a fuel tanker in the Red Sea. And WTI crude is down more than 1.5% in spite of the unsettled backdrop in the Middle East. Now, uh, yesterday's economic calendar was pretty sparse, all being told, but we did see results of the US Dallas Fed Manufacturing Sentiment Poll. What can you tell us there? Yes, so the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Outlook survey was one of the few data releases worth mentioning, Bernadette. The survey showed that perceptions of broader business conditions continued to worsen in January. The Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index plunged from a revised minus 10.4 to a reading of minus 27.4, a fair bit lower than analyst consensus expectations of minus 23. And the Production Index, a key measure of state manufacturing conditions, dropped 17 points to minus 15.4, its lowest reading since mid-2020. On top of that, wage and input costs continued to increase this month. So this is reflecting a pretty challenging start to the year for the Texas manufacturing sector, with contraction in activity and worsening business perceptions alongside stable or increasing costs. And just to add, the declines here are pretty much in line with the other regional indices from the New York, Philly and Richmond Fed reports. Okay, so if you don't mind me asking, how relevant is this data given that it's only a regional indicator? 
Sure, no, that's a valid question. Since Texas is one of the largest and most economically diverse states in the US, the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index typically serves as a good proxy for overall manufacturing activity and economic health in the US. Okay. Um, moving a little closer to home in Europe, I saw inflation in UK stores fell to the lowest level in more than 18 months. Um, what do you have for us there? Yeah, that's right. So shop prices in the UK were 2.9% higher year on year in January compared with the 4.3% annual increase we saw back in December. And that's according to data from the British Retail Consortium yesterday. Uh, that's the lowest since May 2022, as retailers offered heavy discounts to attract shoppers. And another welcome sign that the cost of living crisis in the UK is starting to ease. Now, I've mentioned we're going to have our head of research in Hong Kong, Richard Tang, on the show, and he's going to give us some insights into this uh, big Asia news story. But perhaps you could give us a brief overview of, of how markets uh, in Asia are faring in today's session. So Asia-Pacific equities have been pretty mixed so far in trading today. The Australian ASX has paired around half of its gains and is now up around 0.3%, uh, as have Korean markets, which are now flat alongside Japanese uh, markets, trading around the zero line. Indian markets are slightly negative following a 2% up move yesterday. And uh, looking towards China, uh, Hong Kong and mainland Chinese markets are trading deep in the red with the Hang Seng down 2.2% and the Shenzhen Composite down around 2.7%. Now, as the first month of the year draws to a close, John T, we're going to see a slew of economic reports out this week, which could be pivotal in setting the framework for what markets and the economy can expect in 2024. Which of these economic data releases can we expect to see out today? Well, we'll see Q4 GDP numbers, as I mentioned before, out of the Eurozone and some key European economies. Uh, now, the Eurozone is expected to have slipped into a shallow recession in the second half of 2023, but we've seen improving survey data, a rather robust job market, and of course, expectations of interest rate cuts by the ECB, uh, which suggests that the worst could be over for the block. So let's see what today's GDP numbers uh, bring, Bernadette. And looking to the US, we'll see US home price index data for November, where expectations are for a 0.4% increase in the medium home price. We can also expect to see a reading on consumer confidence in January from the conference board. And lastly, we'll also see the first readings measuring the health of the job market in the US with the job openings number from the Labor Department for December. Openings have been trending downwards here and are expected to show another dip to around 8.7 million open positions from the prior month's uh, nearly 8.8 .8 million number. So there's plenty of economic data on the calendar today in what could uh, turn out to be uh, a pivotal week for markets. Is there anything else that investors uh, should be watching out for today, Jonty? Well, in terms of central bank action, this afternoon the Hungarian central bank will be holding its latest interest rate uh, setting meeting with expectations for a cut of 100 basis points as inflation in Hungary is declining faster than expected. Elsewhere, earnings season continues, and indeed five of the massive Magnificent Seven tech stocks will report earnings updates this week. And today we'll see the first two of those five when tech giants Microsoft and Google parent Alphabet report after the US market closed this evening. Um, before I go, a quick look at the futures board shows that US equities look set for a flat open around the zero line later today. And that's it from me for today, Bernadette. Thanks so much for the wrap, John T. Thank you. And now, as I said, we're grabbing a few minutes of uh, Richard Tang's time before he hops on that plane. Thank you for joining us, Richard. Thank you very much, Bernadette. And good morning, everyone. 
So yesterday it was announced that a Hong Kong court had ordered China Evergrande to liquidate its assets. And we saw a big sell-off in the stock before trading and it was suspended. What's been the main impact of this news? Well, I think uh, on Evergrande, the company has been in negative equity for a few years already. So to be frank, uh, I think the market has well expected this to happen. It's just a matter of time. Um, it shouldn't be a big surprise uh, this happens uh, to the company. But I think uh, one important point is that uh, it's still unclear whether the liquidation order from the Hong Kong court um, can be enforced or will be enforced in the mainland. Um, the market uh, actually sees uh, it unlikely. So um, it may be the case that uh, the order may not be able to claim any onshore asset uh, of Evergrande. Uh, and I think uh, this is something that we still need to see how things will pan out. All right. And what does that mean then for the property market uh, in China now? Well, I think uh, if any marginal impact, uh, I would say the companies which still have a bit of uh, asset uh, offshore uh, and they don't want the offshore asset to go, uh, then they may be more willing to speed up the debt restructuring process. So uh, I think um, for some of the companies uh, with slightly stronger balance sheet will expect that their negotiation with the creditors uh, may accelerate uh, so that uh, eventually a um, agreeable and also a, a agreeable debt restructuring plan that would be like satisfy um, the, the creditors. Uh, I think that may come sooner uh, than than uh, otherwise uh, at the margin. Okay. And more generally, do you see now a spillover into Chinese stocks generally? I mean, what, what are you expecting now? Well, if you look at the overall market action yesterday, obviously today was really bad, uh, but yesterday market was fine uh, because I think um, for this incident in particular, or even for the broader uh, property uh, situation, that has been fairly priced. Uh, if you look at how the market has uh, um, done over the past few years. Uh, so I think um, with such a strong and sharp decline over the past few years uh, in the Hong Kong market, I would argue that a lot of those I probably drag has been priced already. Uh, and if you look at uh, how it contributes uh, to the economy, I would say the, the drag or the negative contribution would also be much smaller this year. Uh, so, so I would say the impact is, is fairly minimal uh, for this incident in particular. Uh, I think that for the broader Chinese markets, what's more important is actually uh, the policy. Uh, so far, you've seen, uh, particularly over the past two or three weeks, we have uh, quite a lot of uh, policies coming from the authority focusing on um, how to uh, boost market confidence. Uh, and we think those may be sufficient to mark the trough uh, of the market after such a significant and long decline. Uh, for the question whether the market will actually rebound or how significantly the market can rebound, right, that really depends on the strength of the fiscal policy, uh, whether the fiscal policy are effective enough uh, to boost the economy. Now, what we've seen so far is that uh, for Beijing, uh, Shanghai, and a couple of uh, Tier 1 cities, um, they've set their uh, local um, GDP growth target to be 5%. Uh, and if history uh, repeats, uh, then it's likely that the national GDP target will also be 5%, which I believe is slightly above what market expects, uh, including what uh, Jewish Bear forecasts. So does that mean that um, the fiscal policies uh, may be a little bit more 
uh, forceful um, to boost the economy going forward. Uh, I think um, that remains to be seen. Uh, but I guess um, this would be quite critically important uh, if we want to gauge uh, the magnitude of the rebound from, from this level. Super. Thanks very much for the update, Richard, and really appreciate you joining the show today. Thank you very much. Speak soon. So now I'm pleased to welcome Manuel Villegas to the show to update us on the latest in crypto assets. Good morning, Manuel. Good morning, Bernadette. So uh, we saw um, a sell-off in Bitcoin last week. I know that Jonty mentioned earlier it's up today, but what was the reason behind that sell-off? Absolutely. So first of all, you know, as, as you said, the U.S. Bitcoin ETFs continue to be the talk of the town. And since the wrappers started trading, volumes have approximated those of the largest S&P 500 ETFs, with a total number of traders trumping those of these ETFs. Bitcoin prices, as you said, have not followed suit. And the key reason dates all the way back to Grayscale's inception in 2015. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust's structure was that of a closed-end fund, where initially, and in a simplified form, authorized participants could buy shares of the trust, which were then vested for six months, and then they could sell these shares in the secondary markets. Given the lack of options back then, to get Bitcoin exposure, the product was in very high demand, so much so that it traded at a considerable premium to its net asset value in secondary markets all the way from May 2015 to February 2021. So the key reason behind the sell-off was FTX state selling Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares. And how does the FTX exchange story continue to influence the markets? So the the back end of, of the story is that, and, and the whole issue with it is that some of the authorized participants amongst which you had FTX, they could engage in a pretty simple arbitrage trade back then. They could short Bitcoin on whichever platform they wanted, and then they could buy the shares of the fund at par which they could later sell at a premium against the net asset value, which was an average of 20% for the time frame I mentioned before. The large incentive led to a broad accumulation of the trust shares. After February 21, the shares started trading at a huge discount against the net asset value, which exacerbated all the way down to a 49% discount just after FTX collapsed in November uh, of 2022. And... Uh, the, the discount reached these lows, and we fast forward today, and FTX bankruptcy state can finally redeem the fund shares at a negligible discount against the net asset value. FTX had billions of dollars worth of the now spot ETF, so they unleashed havoc in the markets by offloading this position. They triggered a long squeeze. The rest of the approved products have offset the outflows, bringing the net flows since the approval close to the billion-dollar mark. Now. The demand for these ETFs has been quite high, and the market has improved, even though there are some systematic opportunities for arbitrageurs, including gaming the Bitcoin pricing benchmarks that the asset managers currently use. Investors should consider the fact that the in-cash structure leads to some inefficiencies when approaching market closure, and this is very important. So price slippage is highest near market closure, and investors can uh, take an implicit cost from five basis points throughout the day in terms of slippage. And at market closure, this grows to almost 60 basis points for most products. Looking forward, this week, 
all eyes are on the Thursday's monetary policy decision in the U.S. And then, of course, on the general note on Bitcoin's upcoming halving in April. And that's all from my end, Bernadette. Thanks so much for the update today, Manuel. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to say thank you to my guests for contributing and, of course, to you for listening. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow when I'll be back uh, with, amongst uh, other things, our weekly update on the fixed income market. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.